Amen. Thank you, Sister Pat. Well, I've enjoyed the songs we've been singing, such majestic hymns of faith. And have you noticed it just seems like God has threaded, even in in the commentaries of different ones of us, uh, our prayers, the songs, keep pointing back to the faithfulness of God. And I can't think of a better thing for the church to realize when we are at a, a milestone of celebration. Looking back and celebrating the past of the church and where we are right now and looking ahead by faith to the future, which only God knows, but just to realize that we are here because of the faithfulness of God. Only by the faithfulness of God. And none of us dare take a step into the future without realizing that we have to rely upon the faithfulness of God. The same God who faithfully has provided for us and guided us watched over us and protected us and loved us is the same God that will walk ahead of us into the future. And so, I, I, you know, I just want to say again, to God be the glory. Great things He hath done. And I want to say to members of Cornerstone, those that were charter members, those that have added on since then, uh, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for what you have given uh, in your tithes and offerings to further the kingdom work of God. Thank you for what you have given of your talents and gifts and abilities. Thank you for what you have given of your time to help the church be what God has called us to be. So, just from my heart as your pastor, and what a blessing to, to look back and, you know, there are not too many pastors, I guess, Brother Jim, in our association, the active that are that can say they're pastoring the same church for 27 years. I mean, that's not something that's very common. Uh, I hope it'll continue on, but, uh, but you know, never take anything for granted in a Baptist church, amen? But it has been a wonderful privilege because this is my extended family. I, I come from a big family, no doubt about it, but I think about the members of this church, those that have gone on to be with the Lord, and, and we thank the Lord for that, and, uh, and then those that are here. I thank God for our extended family. And you know, it just dawned on me that, you know, typically in our homecoming service, we take a moment just to reflect upon, you know, the first of November in the history of the church is All Saints Day. The church traditionally has always stopped to just reflect upon the saints of God. Uh, Some of them great names that you would recognize right off, but then others that are virtually unknown, but they're still dedicated saints of the Lord. And if you venture over to the uh, hallway connecting our church buildings, uh, you'll find a memorial plaque there that says, in love and memory of those members who have gone on ahead of us. And we do. We have a great collection of dear brothers and sisters. I can just see their faces now. Many of them were with us when we first organized Cornerstone back in November, the first Sunday, November 1986. Oh, they love the, the, they love that new church. They love the idea of being a part of a brand new work for God. They poured themselves into helping to convert that old seafood restaurant into a church building. I still remember that dining room that was, uh, we converted into a, uh, a sanctuary. Some of you still remember what we, used to, we fondly call the fish camp. And, and I still remember our first nursery. You see, there was a there was a steak restaurant there some years back, and they still had semblances of an old Western motif in the fish camp. 
And, and I'll never forget our nursery was a room that was a side dining room that had the decorations of a saloon. There were the swinging saloon doors where you took your babies to be taken care of and nurtured. And I can still see when we're walking in with the choir to come into our first service, looking and seeing some of those little darling babies. And some of them may be here today grown up. Looking under that saloon door, you know, as we went by. But you know, we had some grand times worshiping God in that old fish camp. Still smelled like a 220 seafood restaurant. And we had, we had one of the best ready-made kitchens of any church in the whole association because we had an industrial-sized kitchen. Boy, we used it too. But you know, it wasn't the building. I think God taught us a very valuable lesson on that first settling there at the fish camp. And it is the church is not the building. The church is the people. I remember that first Sunday, Brother Jim, I was preaching from a very unique pulpit. I guarantee you, there was a never, there, there was not another one in the whole Southern Baptist Convention like it. And I dare say never been another one like it since then. Those of you who remember Clyde Tesh, Mr. Fix-It. He could fix anything. Well, we didn't have a pulpit. We didn't have any real furniture per se. So he took the cash register stand from the restaurant. And he fashioned a pulpit that fit right on top of that. So I felt like I could give change and preach at the same time, you know? (laughs) But I look back at times like that and just say, praise the Lord. You know, great things God has done. And we owe where we are today because of the faithfulness of God. Our God is good. And He is awesome. And He is gloriously faithful. And I thank the Lord for that. I'm going to ask if you would turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew. I want you to see something that is imperative for us to understand when we talk about our church. Certainly this could be applied to other churches, no doubt. But when we talk about our church in particular. You see, Jesus came on the scene there in the early chapters of Matthew. And I'm taking you back to Matthew chapter 4 because I want you to see in the very beginning of His earthly ministry... Jesus was was teaching and preaching a theme. The interesting thing to note is even though here is the Son of God incarnate, fully God, fully man, here He is on earth. And yet He wasn't here to promote Himself. It wasn't like, okay, here I am, set up a shrine, gather all the people, have have uh, these pilgrimages where you come to see the Son of God. You know, it's interesting. He didn't even try to do that. Here He is. The Creator of all of creation. But as we look in chapter 4 of Matthew, we see in verse 17 that as Jesus begins to preach, note the message He's preaching to sinful populace. Everybody is sinners. In, In verse 17 it says, From that time... Jesus began to preach and to say, repent. I mean, in other words, turn. Turn away from your sins. Turn your back on your old sinful ways. Your rebellious ways. Repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus wasn't promoting Himself. He was promoting the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God. 
He wanted the people of that time, the Jewish people primarily, because that's who he was preaching and teaching to primarily, to understand that the kingdom of God was imminent. It was just around the corner. It was upon them. And the only way you could get ready for the kingdom of God is to get rid of sin. Nobody who sins enters into the eternal kingdom of God. And so, right away he began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, when we go over to chapter 6 there in Matthew, just a page or two over for you, even when Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray. And this is a model prayer. In other words, a, a, a template for you and I to pray. We don't have to repeat this every time we pray, but just these are key ingredients that Jesus wanted his disciples to understand when we pray. And you'll note in verse 9 of chapter 6, he says, In this manner therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Look at verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, again, Jesus is focusing the the attention of His disciples upon the kingdom of God. He wasn't promoting the Roman Empire, which was the force that was in control at that time. He wasn't promoting the Jewish nation. He was promoting the kingdom of His Father in heaven. You know, even when Jesus was teaching later, in that same chapter, over in verse 33... So many times, I know you probably looked at this and, and, and found comfort from it. But you know, Jesus said in verse 33 of chapter 6 of Matthew, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. In a day and a time when men and women and young people, and I'm talking about people who call themselves Christians. I'm talking about people who are faithful church members. In a time when people are clamoring and clinging to and chasing after material possessions and and worldly things, money and the things that money can buy and the pleasures of, of, of materialism, in a time when that has become, unfortunately and tragically, a God to many. A false God, if I might add. But still a God. Because it is the priority of many people's lives. And Jesus says, don't fall for this kingdom, this worldly kingdom. <laughs> it's, it's all going up in smoke one day. But He says, seek first the kingdom of God. And all you need, everything you need, God will provide. Because He's faithful. He's promised us in His Word. He would provide. So you see the theme. Now, why am I dwelling on this because I want to take us to our vision. As a church, we have a vision statement. And it's simple. Becoming a kingdom church for the glory of God. That's our purpose of being. We've used this vision statement for over a decade now. It ought to be ingrained on every one of our hearts. Becoming a kingdom church for the glory of God. This means that we have to constantly guard against the temptation of becoming a cultural church for the pleasure of man. Do you understand the difference? God hasn't called us to please the culture or to blend into the culture. He's not calling us to do that which is pleasing to man. We're called to be a kingdom church 
for the glory of God. And this is achieved by regularly asking ourselves some questions, such as, is what we are doing reflecting our personal preferences or the divine values of God's eternal kingdom? Or, is our primary motivation for doing what we do, is it for our comfort, entertainment, and pleasure? Or is it genuinely for the glory of our Heavenly Father? Folks, I haven't just randomly plucked these questions out of the air. These are questions I hope you are asking yourself and you will continue to ask yourself as we move forward as a church. These are key questions, essential questions, to the success of a kingdom church. If we're not asking these questions, then we're not on the right track. And this applies to every other Bible-believing Christian church out there. What about this question? Do we as a 21st century body of believers reflect the same biblical priorities and practices of that first century church? Are the things that were eminently important to that first gathering of believers after Pentecost, are they still the same priorities for us? Do we practice church like our Christian forefathers did? Now I know some of you are saying, wow, these are tough questions. And you're right. They are because truly seeking to be a kingdom church in the midst of a predominantly pagan culture is tough business. We used the metaphor early on when we embarked upon this transformational church process whereby we began to look very carefully at who we are, what we do, why we do what we do. Is it reflecting God's will or is it more our pleasure and our comfort and our desire? Do we reflect the eternal kingdom of God or are we simply a reflection of the culture around us? When we began upon this task, of self-evaluation under God's scrutiny using the Word of God and, 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 and regularly consulting church history. Let me tell you something. It made us aware that if we're going to be the church that God has called His people to be, we'd better be willing to ask the tough questions. We'd better be ready to make the tough decisions. We better be ready to go against the grain and like salmon swimming upstream, go against the current of this culture that is fast becoming anti-Christian and ungodly. So it's important that we ask these tough questions because being a kingdom church in the midst of a predominantly pagan culture is tough business. But newsflash, being a truly biblical, transforming, spirit-led church is not for wimps. But guess what? Our Savior, our Lord, our Redeemer who hung on a cross 2,000 years ago and bled His precious sinless blood in absolute agony. Let me tell you something. Jesus was no wimp. 
And now's not the time for the church to tuck its tail and to cave in to the pressures of a secular world that is demanding that we try to look more like them and accommodate their desires and their agenda and depart from the biblical doctrines that have set us apart as the people of God. Now is not the time. Not if we're going to be a kingdom church. And I tell you, there are plenty of churches out there. You go take your pick. There are plenty. Uh, there's a church for every whim and fancy of people out there that you want. I even heard about a church that has drive-through service. If you're too busy to go to church, you just pull up to the drive-through window, drop your tithe into the offering into the little chute, and you'll get a little mini church service right there. Don't y'all get any ideas, okay? But I want you to understand that if we are going to be faithful to the vision that God has given us, then we must be faithful to God in His Word. And I promise you, if we are faithful to God and to His Word, we will see God at work. Great things, as we sing, you know, great things He will do. Let me tell you something. We will experience great things. We will experience phenomenal things. We will, we will experience Things that will virtually take your breath away, but it won't be because of this pastor. It won't be because of the pastoral team or the leaders. It won't be because of any people of this church, the members of the church. It will be because God steps in to manifest His presence in the midst of the world because He's got a church that is willing to trust Him and to be used by Him. And I don't know about you, that excites me. When I think about being in the midst of the eternal, sovereign, all-powerful, holy God, and seeing Him by the power of His Word and His Spirit transform wicked, depraved, lost sinners into disciples of Jesus Christ, let me tell you something, that'll make you shout. When I see Almighty God get a hold of this congregation and begin to transform it from being just a standard Southern Baptist church into a real body of Christ as the Scriptures where the members are connected in holy fellowship together and using their spiritual gifts and we're worshiping in a way that brings God a smile on the face of God. Let me tell you something. When I am in the midst of the body of Christ as the Scriptures describe, that'll make you shout. We don't need some jacked up guitar player and, and, and band to get us, no offense Nathan, wherever you are. <laughs> we don't need some dazzling laser show to generate emotions and excitement within us. Ladies and gentlemen, when we stand in the midst of God Almighty coming upon this congregation and moving through this church and we begin to witness firsthand how God begins to transform the very community around us and it begins to look more and more like the kingdom of God, that ought to make us shout. And that's what I'm excited about. And understanding this, I want to remind you, church, Cornerstone Baptist Church, that we as a church, we've set some priorities but are very strong kingdom priorities. And it's always good to be reminded of that. This is not the first time you've heard me make reference to it. Such as we have committed to carry out the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus stood on that mountainside with His disciples 2,000 years ago, just before He ascended into heaven, and He told those disciples, that handful of followers, 
looking at a wicked, sinful, secular world. And he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That is the commission of the church. You know what, you want to know why we're here? We're here to carry out the Great Commission. We are here to make disciples of all the nations. We are here to help the Spirit of God carry out the work of God by the power of the Word of God. And let me tell you something. The Great Commission is the single driving force of the church. Dr. Gene Mims in his book, Kingdom Principles for Church Growth, defined the, the Great Commission. He said it is that single force that drives every true biblical Christian church. In other words, if you're not doing the Great Commission, you're not doing church. And if we want to gauge how we're doing as a church, if we need a, a, an eternal measuring rod or a spiritual measuring rod, then use the Great Commission. Simply ask ourselves from time to time, how many disciples are we making? But I need to move on. Because as a kingdom church, we commit to practice the Lord's great commandments. I think about when the scribe came to Jesus there in Mark's Gospel chapter 12 and in Matthew chapter 22, when that scribe came in to test Jesus. The scribe's an expert in the law. And there were many laws. The Pharisees and Sadducees made sure that there were plenty of laws. And in the midst of that plethora of laws, the scribe said to Jesus, testing Him, now, which one is the first? The greatest. And I believe our Lord without blinking His eyes says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. You will have a driving passion for God Almighty. And then He added right on the heels of that, and the second is likened to it. You shall love your neighbors or as yourself. And as a kingdom church, we better make sure that we are doing that. We need to check ourselves on a regular basis. Is our love for God so evident that we see it as we gather together? Is our love for God what drives us in worship? Is our love for God what drives us in our giving? Is it reflected in our giving? Is our love and passion for God what causes us to get up out of the comfort of our easy chairs and to come out on a cold night and go and minister to somebody in need with the love of Jesus Christ? Is our love for God able to cause us to overlook each other's weaknesses and hang-ups and love each other anyway? And is our love for God and our neighbor that strong? Listen, we need to make sure that that is a commitment. As a kingdom church, we commit also to observe His Ten Commandments. I know somebody's thinking, oh, hold on now, preacher, you're talking about the old law now. Hallelujah, we're under the new law. We're under the new covenant. We don't have to worry about the No, no, we're not under the Mosaic law. You're right, we don't have the dietary restraints and things like that. Thank goodness, being a barbecue eater, I just couldn't handle that idea. But, that's a side note. But stop and think about it. God set forth for Moses on that Mount Sinai. He set forth some divine, timeless, eternal principles that would set His people apart from the rest of the world. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen? They're still applicable today. Try to cast out one, see where you end up. You should have no other God but the Lord your God. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall uh, have no uh, graven images, no idols. Observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. Now you say, hold on, we don't do the Sabbath. No, I'm not, it doesn't necessarily mean Saturday. 
But out of seven days that you have to work and to produce and to earn, God says, take one. Make a Sabbath. And stop thinking about your own needs and your own wants and stop driving yourself and produce and sit and have a Sabbath and focus on me. And worship me. Parents and grandparents will say amen to this. Honor your parents. That your days may be long. Boys and girls, young people, you're listening. That your days may be long in the land that the Lord has given unto you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's uh, wife or his house or his servant or his BMW or Jaguar or donkey. You get the... All of these timeless, eternal, divine principles are still applicable to our lives today. A kingdom church observes these A kingdom church also is committed to live out His new commandment. The new one. The newest of all of them. In John chapter 13 and verse 34, Jesus said to His disciples, A new new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. Church members, listen carefully. This is a commandment. It's not a suggestion. Jesus says, You shall love one another as I have loved you. You shall love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. We are a kingdom church for the glory of God. And we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart and everything within us. We are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And we certainly ought to love one another. There's no room for any sentiments less than love in the body of Christ Does that mean then we can't point out our weaknesses and faults and sins? Oh, sure, we can hold each other accountable. We must hold each other accountable, but we do it in love. As a kingdom church, we commit to these priorities in the kingdom of God, but also we as a kingdom church more recently... This is over the past year, during this time of, uh, of introspection and evaluation and being before God and praying and studying the Word of God and looking back into church history, we have been carefully looking for those key values that would be the foundation upon which we would build this church as we move into the future. Understand that these values are themselves built on the Word of God. It is the rock-solid foundation. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Make no mistake about it. There can be no other foundation than the Word of God, and Jesus is the only chief cornerstone. But upon that, we have identified what we call core values that we feel in our hearts as leaders of the church that these are the things that we can build our church around that should make us a strong church, that should propel us forward to be a kingdom church. And I'm not going to elaborate at length on each one, but I do want you to be reminded of them. Number one, we said that we would acknowledge our need for prayerful dependence. Look how much Jesus prayed all through His ministry. Calling upon the Father. Spending time with the Father. Talking and conversing with God the Father. Let me say, if it was that important for the Son of God, it sure ought to be important for you and me. How much time do you spend talking to the Lord? Paul says you ought to pray always. In 1 Thessalonians 5.16, he says rejoice always. He says pray without ceasing. 
As Christians, as followers of Christ, we ought to constantly be in a mindset of prayer. And you know what? To a degree, I am. I, I, I pray a lot. I, I pray for my old car when I get ready to start it, you know? All your prayers don't have to be highly sanctified and sanctimonious. You know, I get into that old uh, 99 Honda and 200 plus thousand miles and, and, and I, just before I turned the key, I said, Lord, thank you so much for this old car. <laughs> thank you so much that it has served me so well. Then, you know, so please let it start again. <laughs> oh, I pray for all, I lose things. How many of y'all lose things around the house? Come on. Anybody over 60, y'all better have your hand up because I know. Hey, listen, I'm, I said, Lord, I know, I know where I know where this thing is, but I don't know where it is. He's thinking, say what? <laughs> and y'all said, Lord, help me find it. Oh, listen, God's a practical God. Just because He's holy and sovereign and high and lifted up, listen, He understands the day-to-day needs that we have. Or you have an unexplained ache. You know, I don't run to the medicine cabinet. I have to ask Jan where things are anyway. But, but you know, first thing, I'll say, Lord, I don't understand this. I will, I'm, I'm praying for you to heal it if it's your will. You know, listen, prayer should be like breathing for the body of Christ, for the child of God. So prayerful dependence. Listen, as a church, we ought to saturate our lives with prayer. We ought to permeate the activities of our church in prayer. Prayer ought to be just a common thing. For Kingdom Church. I'm getting a big smile out of our prayer minister director, Sister Dean Cochran over there. She said, right on. Preach it, brother. But also biblical leadership. When it comes to the leadership of the church, one of our core values is that we will have leadership, no doubt about it, but the leadership that we have will be biblical. Tragically, over the decades, the church has been duped into thinking that it needs to model its leadership after corporate America. Listen, leadership in the top 500 corporations and all, that's fine. It works for them. But don't bring it into the church. The Bible has already blueprinted what leadership is in the church. The two offices of leadership in the church are the Pastors, elders, and then the deacons. And then with those offices are very stringent biblical qualifications. God has already laid it out there. He has mapped out how the church needs to be led. We just need to do it God's way. And don't let a popularity contest dare interfere with the process of calling Godly men to serve as pastors and deacons. You make sure we stick to the qualifications that God says. If they don't qualify with God, they don't qualify to be in the church, not in leadership. Because the church is only as strong as the leaders it calls to lead them under the headship of Christ. Another core value is biblical church membership. You know, in Romans chapter 12, and in Ephesians chapter 4, 11, verse 16, 1 Peter 4.10, it talks about, you know, the body of Christ is a miracle. And Brother Jim, I, I just can't imagine you and your role in St. Andrews, you accompany him as y'all get out there amongst the, the, the Pilot Mountain Baptist Association. I guess you see quite a diversity of churches, don't you? <laughs> From the downtown, you know, high church, you know, urban churches, Till you get out in the country right here near Wahlberg, some of us country bumpkins, you know. And uh, now I'm, I'm saying you you get a diversity of people. We have an ethnic diversity even in our association now. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! 
The body of Christ needs to reflect the diversity of the family of God. Listen, heaven is not segregated, ladies and gentlemen, nor should the churches be. And so the, when we talk about membership, let me tell you something. Church membership is not like joining a club. It's more than simply having your name on the roll. It's a whole lot more than that. It is very relational. First of all, it's built on your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and He is the Lord and Master of your life, you can't be a member of the body of Christ. You can have your name on the church roll. You can say, I am a member. But if Jesus is not truly the Lord of your life, you're not, the mem- you're not a member of the body of Christ. Because it is the Spirit of God. Upon the confession of faith of every true believer who chooses to repent of their sins and accept Jesus Christ by faith and to yield their lives to Christ. Those are the ones who He puts into the body of Christ. And you know the beautiful thing that Paul says in Romans chapter 12 verse 5 is he says, So we being many are one body. Did you get that? The church is made up of millions and millions and millions of dedicated disciples of Jesus Christ down through the ages all over the world. And Paul says we are one body under the headship of Christ. But you know what else Paul says? He says, though we, he said we be in many a one body in Christ, each member depends upon everyone else. We're only connected. We, just like the parts of your body, are absolutely interdependent upon each one. Paul uses that analogy in in 1 Corinthians 12. Let me tell you something. Every member of the local church is important, is significant. So, if you get your feelings hurt and you say, well, I'm just not going to go over to church. I'm just not going to go be with them people. I'll I'll show them. Well, Well, can I submit for you? How would you like it if your lungs got mad at your heart? Decided, I'm I'm getting out of here. I'm, not, I'm going to be a part. Then the kidney catches on. Said, Me either. I'm mad too. I'm going to go over here. Before you know it, there goes your liver. Hey, listen. Yeah, see how ridiculous it is? You can't withdraw your presence from the body of Christ without it having some deep impact on the whole body. And guess what? A kidney land over there on the shelf by itself ain't going to make it too long. Nor is that liver. You land over there on a the rock by yourself. No, you need that heart. You need the lungs. You need the rest. See, you, you need the body and the body needs you. Why? Because Almighty God designed it that way. And a kingdom church understands the value of that very principle right there. Then we also adopted the core value of, of authentic relationships. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, Paul touches on the right of Hebrews, and I believe it's Paul, but anyway, the fact is, the right of Hebrews touches on that. In Hebrews chapter 10, he says, Let us consider one another. How we might stir up love and good works. In other words, we need each other. God's people are called to be in relationship with each other. We need first and foremost a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, but we also need each other. I'm so thankful that here recently we have devised or put together home groups, small groups that meet in individual homes. And we're not there for deep Bible study. We're not there for for long worship. No, no, we're there for relationship. We're there to get to know each other. We're there to take off any mask, to be able to share our hearts, to share our needs, to be able to pray for one another, to be able to care for one another. And folks, that's how relationships are built. And I encourage you, if you're not involved, 
You need to because that is a core value of this church. Another core value is biblical corporate worship. You know, if I could just take you very briefly back into the psalm, I think this one psalm, Psalm 115, verse 1, nails it on the head. Listen, he says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy and because of your truth. I think about Isaiah going into that temple there in chapter 6. And there he saw that great vision. It says that he saw the Lord high and lifted up on His throne. And the, 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 the train of His glory filled the temple. And there were seraphims, these great, dynamic, powerful, eternal beings that were shouting one to the other, Holy, 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 Holy. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. When we gather in the sanctuary on any given Sunday for the purpose of worship, It is not about me. It is not about you. We are not here for your comfort. We are not here for your entertainment. We're not here for your simple pleasure. We are here to rivet our hearts and our minds upon the great and glorious eternal sovereign God who is on His throne and we are to worship Him. Worship must be centered on God. Some people say, well, why do you use so much Scripture in your worship? Why prayers? Why, you know, all this? Because the nothing focuses on God more than the Word of God. And corporate worship, biblical worship, corporate worship is God-centered. Another core value is mission mentality. We've already touched on the Great Commission. And the fact that God calls the, calls the body of Christ not to gather as a comfortable religious country club where we do all these neat activities. Now, I love fellowships. You know, yesterday in our cleaning day, we're working like dogs, but you know what? We have some wonderful fellowship. Great time just being together. And we'll have fun times together. We'll have, you know, times where we'll do pleasurable things and eat meals and, 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 and do singings and things like that. But let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. This is not a religious country club. God has not called us just to get together for our own pleasure and entertainment. He's called us to get out there into the world. This afternoon, some of us will gather again and we'll be taking our van and going out of here to the community and we'll be collecting boys and girls who are unchurched. Some of them of a different culture. It doesn't matter. The fact is, Jesus says, Suffer the little children to come unto Me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. We will get outside of the walls of this church. We are touching families outside, out there in the community who are having economic needs and, and, and need of counseling. We're touching people in the name of Jesus Christ because we are called to be a mission-minded church. I praise the Lord because next year we're looking to engage our church in our first North American missions project for a while. And I pray that God will take some of us not just outside of our church, not just outside of our community, but some of us will be going out of the state to do good works in the name of Jesus Christ, to spread the gospel, roll up our sleeves and engage in missions. And then I know in my heart that God is also leading us to go to other parts of the world. And just on the horizon, I see God putting together a team to go back to Kenya, Africa, where we have established relationships with dear African-Kenyan brothers and sisters. We've planted churches there. We have started ministries there. I look forward to some of us going back and renewing those friendships and picking up with the ministries and going on with the great... Listen, God has called us to be on mission. 
And that's what a kingdom church is about. Kingdom church also has a core value of being a, a biblical discipleship church. God didn't call us just to make converts. Don't just get people to pray a prayer and have an emotional feeling and then sign their name on a, on a card and they say, thank you, I'll see you in heaven. That's just the beginning. Conversion is just the beginning of the Christian life. Once a person commits themselves to Jesus Christ by faith and chooses to make Him the Lord of their life, then the discipleship is following after Christ for the rest of your days. Jesus said in Luke 9.23, If any man come after Me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow Me. How long, Jesus? Until you get back home to heaven. You notice what He says? Deny yourself. Don't put your needs and your wants and desires at the forefront of your heart, but put the needs of the, of, of the Lord first and foremost. What does He want you to do? Put the will of God first and the needs of others and then your own needs. And be willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ. That's what biblical discipleship is. It's willing to grow, to become like Christ. Dr. Avery Willis, the author of the Master Life that some, some of our members have gone through, a wonderful discipling tool, he said that Christian discipleship is a process of developing a lifelong, obedient, personal relationship with Jesus Christ who transforms our character into Christ-likeness, changes our values into kingdom values, and involves us in His mission in the home, in the church, and in the world. And finally, the core value that we identified as a part of the foundation for our church is being gospel-centered. What would we do without John 3.16? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes upon Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I think it's significant that this Thursday, the 7th, Dr. Billy Graham turns 95. And in celebration of his birthday, he's preaching a message. I hope many of you will pick up that message. I hope that you will not only watch it on your television, but I hope you will go out into your neighborhood or look in your family and invite those that don't know Jesus Christ to come over to your house and have some cookies and coffee or hot chocolate or what have you and sit down and watch this powerful message. Dr. Graham says, I have one more message for the world. And I hope that you'll be a part of that. But as a, as a kingdom church, the gospel has to be at the center of what we're doing. We have to be like the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, when he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God under salvation to all who believe, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And everything we do, it must be centered on the gospel, bringing people to know the good news. The good news. Yes, we are sinners, but God loves us. And He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place if we trust Him and put our faith in Him. Carl Henry said, The good news is only good news when it gets there on time. Heaven forbid that we would be too late in taking the good news to people in our community who right now are dying in their sinfulness and headed for hell. Heaven forbid that we would sit in the comfort of our church building and do our own thing and be too late getting the gospel to somebody that's waiting to hear that Jesus loves them. This is where we are. Now, all of this that I've described, I can, I can say for a fact, this is not what we were in the past. It's not even what we are right now. But by the grace and the faithful help and guidance and protection of our Lord, 
This is what we will become. Not through our efforts, but by God working in us. And as we've already alluded to, over the past year we have spent a lot of time, many hours, as leadership, praying, searching the words of God, researching church history, going back and looking for the very foundational things that are so important that that will help to shape this church and move it forward to becoming a kingdom church. And very thoughtfully and carefully and prayerfully, we have, we have processed, gone through the process of, of self-examination. We've looked over and scrutinized our own church constitution, our articles of faith, what it is that we believe. And if you look at any of these documents, you will see where Scripture supports it solidly. We even give references. And even our church covenant to reflect the sentiments of a body of believers brought together under a covenant of love. And our church in August adopted these documents unanimously. So it's not just coincidence that here on our 27th anniversary as a church, our homecoming Sunday, that we find ourselves poised and ready to move forward. God has laid the blueprint. He has charted the course. And now the call goes out. Many of you know that we have chosen to use this day, this moment, It's a time to reconstitute the membership of Cornerstone Baptist Church based on the teachings and instructions of those documents, our constitution, our bylaws, and our covenant. I remember back in April of 1987, this is just when the church is in its very early formative stages, and and, and yes, with the help and the direction of our uh, uh, Pilot Mountain Association and the leadership, we were helped to understand the significance of giving definition to who we were and, and, and letting that come out in the shape and fashion of a, a constitution. And then at that time, we organized our official membership that Sunday. Uh, I forget which Sunday, but it was in April of 1987. We have that book today. And we're turning a new page. Some of your signatures are on that first constituting day. And so what we're doing today is as we close the worship service, we're doing so with this ceremony of reconstituting the membership of our church. And so some of the members... Leaders have already signed because some are involved in activities that will follow after the worship service so they wouldn't be able to come in and and do that. But we're going to offer every member of the church an opportunity to reconstitute as a member of Cornerstone Baptist Church. This reconstituted will make up the official membership of our church. This invitation has been extended out to inactive members who are willing to come and to, to be familiarized with the new constitution and, and our bylaws and covenant. So we're not excluding any member from the opportunity to reconstitute. You have the opportunity today. I pray that years from now, 
Maybe after I'm long and gone, some of the younger people will look back on this Sunday and see it as a significant turning point in the life of Cornerstone Baptist Church. When the members of this church courageously and faithfully stepped out on faith to say, no, we don't want to be a cultural church. We don't want to be just the average fly-by-the-night cultural church out there suited to just please man. No. But they said yes to be in a kingdom church for the glory of God. And you have that opportunity. I'm going to close my message in prayer and then we'll give you instructions how we'll proceed with the reconstituting ceremony.